Well, good morning, everybody. As you can tell, I am not Matt via the height. Um, my name is Sam. If we haven't met yet, I am the Shakopee Campus Youth Pastor, and today it's my honor to get to do the last of our series in, called Epic Poetry. We've been going through the Book of Psalms all summer long, and uh, a fitting end to looking at the Book of Psalms is today we're going to look at Psalm 1. Yeah, so um, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to pull that out and open up to Psalm 1, because uh, I'd love to just jump right in uh, to that. And uh, also, just note, as a, as a youth pastor, I just love seeing so many young faces out there. So, hey guys, my people. All right. Uh, so let's jump right in, uh, flip to Psalm 1. That's at the very beginning of the book of Psalms. All right, Psalm 1, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So my goal this morning is to highlight some words, phrases, and images that we see in Psalm 1, because it's a short psalm, but it is packed full of so much beautiful imagery and a lot of depth that I believe God wants us to see. And so I want to start by pointing out three words. Um, It's talking about the blessed man, and this first two verses really set the foundation for the rest of the psalm. And the psalmist says, to be a blessed man or a blessed woman, to be a blessed person, um, there's some things to do and not do. And he starts with three things to not do. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. And so I, I wanted to highlight those three words, and on the bottom of the screen you can kind of see that um, I put some things that might look like a definition of the word, but it's not. Um, I, I'm not defining walk, but I do think it helps us to understand what he means by when we're talking about walking. So for instance, walk. Um, as Christians, we use this word a lot, right? How is your walk with Jesus going? When I think of like a walk, we're talking about this worldview, what I believe in action, right? When I'm walking about, what am I doing? I'm living out the things that I believe. What I truly believe is what I will live out. And so, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And so the first question that we have to ask then is, where do you get your counsel? Who What do you go to when you need an answer? When you are struggling with something and you don't know what to do and you're in the middle of that walk and you don't know what the next step is that you should take, where do you go? Is it to all the things in this world? We could go to books or movies, our favorite um, our favorite artist or maybe our favorite uh, sports athlete guy or maybe our favorite politician and go, what do they think? Or maybe we go, What the majority of people think, that's what I'll believe. So if if a majority of people believe it, then it's probably right, right? And so I'm going to go get my counsel from uh, like the polls and the votes and see what most people think. And that's what I'll believe. Or maybe it's my best friend or my parents. And none of these places are necessarily bad places to get advice. But if I'm getting my full counsel from, my full wisdom from those things, it's going to lead me to a lot of places that we see We can look out in the world and see the things that aren't going well, and we're going to find ourselves in similar ditches and similar pits. Blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
Blessed is the person who doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And by that, it means standing with sinners. Um, And so when I think of standing, I think of like, well, we stand on something. There's a foundation. There's something that I have built that I can stand on. And so just like my worldview that I walk in and I walk out and live out in the same way, what is the thing that I stand on that I can have? And, and even in, when opposition comes. So the things that I believe enough that even if you were like pushed back a little bit, I go, you know, like I believe that. Blesses the person who stands not on the things that sinners find as the foundations of their life. That we don't stand in the same foundation as the world, as sinners, as the wicked. And then the final one is to sit in the seat of scoffers. Um, when I think of sitting, like all you are doing right now, I, get, I have to stand, you guys can sit. Anyway, um, when you sit, you will sit when you find a sense of at least a little bit of comfort or security. You, you feel safe, right? I don't know about you, but if I'm in a space with a lot of people who Uh, are my enemy, want to hurt me, I'm not going to sit back in a lazy boy, right? Like, that's not the position I'm going to take. But if I'm sitting, it's because I'm in a space and I'm in a place where I feel comfortable, where I feel secure. And so, blessed is the person who doesn't find their security, their comfort. They don't, they aren't relaxed in the worldview, the, uh, we've talked about this, walking in and standing in and sitting. We're not living out and walking in and sitting in this foundation that is found in what the world believes. But blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And so if we were to go into verse 2, two words I want to highlight. Blessed is somebody whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now this is a little bit more definitional. When we look at the word delight, It's something that we place a high value in, we desire, and we take pleasure in. And so, as an example, um, I know this might be a little early for some of you adults, but kids, we're already thinking about dessert, right? Um, And so I, uh, this is true story, uh, as a guy who ate a cookie for breakfast, dessert, any time of the day, right? And so the question is this, ready? What is your favorite ice cream flavor? I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Convince them it's the best. Ready, go. Favorite ice cream flavor? Anybody down here? What's your favorite flavor? Mango? All right, all right. I like that. Chocolate? Classic. Yeah. Love it. Fantastic. All right. I'm going to, I don't know if there's debates happening, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to calm the, the crowd here and go, I'm going to share one of my favorites. This is probably at the top for me, at least right now. My favorite ice cream would be Coconut Explosion. Anyone ever had Coconut Explosion ice cream? All right. So Coconut Explosion, if you've never heard of this, let me enlighten you. Um, Coconut Explosion is coconut ice cream with coconut shavings in it. And then there's like chocolate-covered almonds. But who cares about the chocolate-covered almonds? Because it's coconut. So much coconut. Hence, explosion. Um, And so I delight in 
coconut explosion ice cream in the sense that I will choose it over other flavors. Some of you shared your favorite flavors, maybe chocolate. I heard mango. Um, there's, there's some awesome flavors, and you would choose yours if there was a whole list of things, a table full of ice cream. You would say, I want this one. And I would take that coconut explosion, and I would, I would delight in that, in that it, I'm picking it over others. I have a high value for it. I also... It's something that I would desire. I want it, and I take pleasure in it. I enjoy it. When I'm eating it, I enjoy it. Um, maybe a less silly example would be think about the relationship that you value the most. Um, one of the relationships I have at the, the peak for me is with my wife, Amy. And I delight in my relationship with her. I have chosen her already by marrying her, but also every day I choose her over others. I've picked her. I have a value of her over other options. I also have a delight in and take pleasure in the relationship that we have. I enjoy spending time with her and getting to know her more and spending time doing things together. I delight in that relationship. And in the same way, the psalmist says that we should delight in the word, the law of God. So here's a question. Do you delight in God's word where you place a value on it. You desire it. You want more of it. And you take pleasure in it. You enjoy your time in it. Is that true of you? Because let me be honest, there are days when I come to the Word and I treat it more like a chore or more like a to-do list or something that I have to get done. And in those days, in those moments, I am not delighting in God's Word. It is vastly different when you come to it, like just this book that I have to read today, and when I come to it and delight in it, and I enjoy and I spend time in it, and really, just like a bowl of ice cream or a great relationship, I enjoy my time in it. And so, are we delighting in God's word? Because if we do, it says we'll be blessed. And then, blessed is also not just the person who delights in it, but who meditates on it day and night. And so, real quick, um, I think often when we hear this word meditate, our minds quickly think of, like, Eastern religion. They would meditate in a way where, like, the guy who sits really quiet and tries to empty themselves of everything that they're thinking of. And, and really, that's a very dangerous thing to do because what they're trying to do is empty themselves, to open themselves up to whatever any spirit might want to say to them. As Christians, we don't do that. In fact, to, as a Christian, biblical meditation is kind of the opposite of that. We don't empty ourselves. We fill ourselves with God's word. And so we fill ourselves, we fill our minds with God's word. And, and the word for meditate, um, really, it comes from this word that means to, to mutter to yourself. And so the idea is that day and night we are muttering, we are speaking over ourselves the word of God. And so in order to speak the word of God to yourself over and over again, day and night, you need to know it. You need to be in it. You need to be reading it. Otherwise, how can you know it in order to repeat it? If, if you're not in God's word and memorizing his word, then how can I mutter over myself the word of God? So that day and night, I'm remembering the things of God. Because the moment's going to come in my walk as I'm going through life that I'm going to approach somebody who's going to be hard to love, and in that moment, I have an option. I, have an, I can remember, as I'm remembering God's word, oh yeah, 
I remember that God says to love my neighbor, even when it's tough, even when they're my enemy, I am called to love them. And he said to love them just like, oh, what's that parable? Uh, the good Samaritan, and he gave, and he gave in abundance. He, he did way more than he ever had to. Maybe I can love in that way. And so by remembering the word of God, I, it helps me to live out and actually walk out what I read daily. That's what meditation should look like. And, and maybe a picture that helps this. I, I like images and pictures. So here's an image. Who here likes a good marinated steak or chicken or something like that? Who likes a good marinated? I like you guys. You're my people. Every, uh, every service, it's gotten, I've gotten more hands. So I love that. Um, so when you marinate something, you need two things at least. Okay, You need two main things. One, you need a sauce and a lot of it. And two, you need time. Because for a marinade to work, you're going to put this steak, as an example, steak into this sauce, and you want it to just be covered, surrounded by, just like in this picture, it's just soaking in that sauce. And it needs enough time that it can soak in that flavor so that when you pull it out of the sauce and you throw it on the grill, when you eat it, it's going to taste like the sauce. It tastes more like the sauce than what it did originally because it spent time in, surrounded by that sauce. And that's what Christian meditation should look like for us. We should spend our time in God's word in such a way that we are soaking in it, we are surrounded by it, and we spend quality time so that we soak in that flavor so that when we are pulled out of that sauce, out of our time in the word, we go out into the world, we taste like the word of God. We smell like it. We are, we live it out in a way that people can tell that it's not just me that's doing these things. It is something, there's something that is infused in me, and it is the word of God. It is his Holy Spirit living through me. We should look like that. And so this question is, do we spend real quality time in God's word? And I, and I use the phrase quality time because some people will ask me, they go, okay, I get it, sauce, lots of, t- lots of God's word, but you said, lots of, you said time, needs time. So how much time, Sam, should I, should I put towards this? And I can't give you, if you do this number of minutes, then you will look like Jesus. Because it's about quality time in God's word. I will say this, a marinade does not work in a microwave, okay? You can't take the steak, dip it in the sauce, throw it on the grill, and be like, done. Because guess what? It's going to taste mostly like its original state, and not much like the sauce. And I don't know about you, but I know that in order to live the Christian life, I have to spend time in God's word because otherwise, if I'm living out of me, I'm going to look like and taste like a bland steak and not like one that's been marinated and looks like Jesus. If you want to look like Jesus, you got to spend time in his word. That's how it works. And so, here's my contention. Verse of the day is fantastic. But if that's all you ever get, it feels more like a microwave. Sunday morning, this is great. Spending time together, worshiping and, and being in God's word together is awesome. But this can't be the only place that you're getting God's word. Day and night, meditating on it. Being in it in such a way that you can remember it throughout your day. And so the question is, are you spending quality time with the Lord in his word? And you can define how long that means for you. That you, How long do you need today? Might be different than how long you need tomorrow or next week. 
but spend the quality time in God's word. And if you do, you're going to end up seeing what we see here in Romans 12. Because Romans 12 is another example of this dichotomy. You can either be conformed to the world or transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you transform your mind? By being in the word. Because the reality is this. Our natural state is we are drawn to, prone to wander, Lord, I know it, right? I, it, it, that, that is who I am. I'm going to wander. I am going to be conformed to the world, especially if all I ever put in is this culture's movies and books and music and the things that people say and what the world is telling me. If I sit in only that, I will look like the world. But, and, and I'm not saying you can't go to a movie or listen to a secular song. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, if you're not also spending quality time in God's word, how do you ever expect to look not like the world that I'm sitting in all the time and instead look like Jesus? So, of these two options, we can either walk, stand, sit in the way of the world, or we can delight in and meditate on the word of God. And this brings us to verse 3. I know you guys came in going, Psalm 1, awesome, short psalm. That's going to be great. <laughs> verse 3, here we go. Um, and this is probably the most well-known verse of this passage. It says, he, and, and when it says he, it's talking about the person who's not standing and sitting and walking in the way of the world, but the one who delights in God's word and meditates on it. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. Now, I want to focus first on that he says is like a tree planted by streams of water. It's important that the author doesn't just say that it's a tree. You're not just a tree. You're a tree planted by a stream of water. That location is very important. And, and to show you this, I want to go back to Jeremiah 2 real quick. In Jeremiah 2, and if I had more time, I'd love to, we could read this whole like, section. It's really great. I'd encourage you, if you have time later, to do this. But in verse 13, God finally gets, and he tells his people, the people of Israel, that they have committed two sins. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God says this. There's this image I want you to get. Have you ever seen a beautiful, like, rushing water, like a stream or a river, beautiful, crystal clear, flowing water? Imagine that. Imagine a, a time you've seen that. And there's this beautiful, flowing river. And you're able to, it's so pure and great that you can take a cup and you can literally dip it in the water. You could drink right out of it. It'd be fantastic. Cold, cool, refreshing, life-giving water. And God says, I am living water. In me you will find life. But you've chosen to forsake me, to turn your back on me, and instead to dig your own cisterns. And so a cistern, essentially think of like a, like a pool type of a thing. They, they dig a hole and they fill it with water and they go, this is where I'm going to get my life from. This pool that I dug, that's what I want. Just think about, just like, have you ever seen like stale water sitting in a pool? Like, yum, that's what I want. And it's even worse than that because it's a broken cistern. It has cracks. The water is seeping out in every direction. And so it's this toiling work to try to even get life out of it. And God says, my people have committed two sins. 
Instead of living with me, they have turned from me and they have chosen to dig a hole and to get life from that, saying, I can get life here. Really? That's what you want to do. That's the choice you want to make. And then, I don't know about you, but I'm quick to go, those silly Israelites, what were they thinking? But don't, don't we do this? I, I do this. I, I turn from God and go, I bet that I can get my life from my family. That's where I'll find my life. My family will give it to me. Or maybe I can get my life from my achievements, from the things that I do, those good grades, or maybe in sports, how good of an athlete I am, or maybe at work when my boss says I did a good job. That's where I'm going to find my life. Or maybe it's in food or pornography or money or fill in the blank. What are the things that I turn to and think that that's what's going to fill me instead of this beautiful stream of water that is never-ending, that is full of life? So that's the image. We are called to be a tree planted by streams of water. And if we do, if we are planted by streams of water, then there are two things that are true of us according to this passage. The first is that we will have fruit in season, and the second is that we have leaves that do not wither. So let me break those two down real quick. Um, again, another passage I'd encourage you on your own sometime. John 15. Man, you could read this one every day. It is just so good. But John 15, Jesus uses another uh, example with another plant, this time a vine. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So here's the picture. You have this vine. Think about taking a vine and you take a blade and you cut the branch off. And you throw the branch on the ground and you watch it. How long would you have to wait for fruit to start growing on that branch? A long time. It's never going to happen. Why? The branch is dead. It cannot do anything on its own. It can't. That's us without Jesus. But if that branch is connected, stays in the vine, then guess what? How hard does a branch have to work and toil to produce fruit? It doesn't work very hard, does it? By just being connected, it is fruitful because that's what it does. Jesus says, remain in me, and I should have looked this up beforehand. He says remain like seven times. It's like remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Look it up, tell me later how many times. But Jesus says, remain in me, stay connected to me. If you do, you will bear much fruit. Do you want to be fruitful? I do. If you want to be fruitful, remain in him. And if you do, you will bear fruit. Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So will we remain in him? Stay planted in him? If we do, we will be fruitful. And then, number two, leaves that don't wither. When bad weather comes, you, will you reflect 
your circumstances. There's a big difference between a tree that's planted out in a field somewhere and a tree that's planted by a stream of water. A tree that's planted in the middle of a field somewhere is very dependent on rain, that the rains will come, that the sun will come out for it to grow. And if everything's good, then it's going to have fruit and green leaves and it's all going to be great. But what about when the drought comes, when bad weather hits? Then the tree is going to wither. It's not going to have fruit. It's going to reflect the circumstances of what surrounds it. That's not true of the tree that's planted by a stream of water. Why? Because its source of life is found in the stream. So if a, I don't know, bad weather comes, if a drought hits, guess what happens to that tree? It's fine. Its identity, its life is in the stream. And so we can either look like our circumstances. And when things are going great, yeah! And when things are going bad, we're down here and, and we are always reflecting the things in life. Or we can have our life, our identity found in Christ, being rooted in him. You ever wonder why somebody, why a believer in a hospital room has hope when there should be none? Or why somebody like myself that struggles with anxiety can have peace in an anxious situation that makes no sense? It's, it's because you must be rooted in him. With him, I can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. With him, I can have hope for now and in eternity that's beyond the circumstances of my life. It's not about the things that happen to me. It's about the one who I'm found in. That's what it means to be a tree planted by streams of water. But verse 3 ends by saying, in all that he does, this man who is blessed, in all that he does, he prospers. If we were to stop there, we might be tempted to just define prosperity any way we want and any way that sounds nice to me and go, oh, well, maybe that means that I prosper in every way. So financially, I'm going to prosper. And, if, and relationally, I'm going to prosper. Those things may or may not happen, but we need to define prosperity according to what the Bible says. And the psalmist gives us an answer, so let's keep going. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, the righteous will prosper in all their ways. The wicked are not so. They don't prosper. Verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Prosperity here is all about eternity. All throughout scripture, we find other places where it says that the wicked, I see the wicked prospering and I see the righteous person. And and in this world, it seems like the people who aren't living God's way, they seem to still do okay in life. In fact, if if it were the other way around, it'd be really clear. Like, wow, all I got to do is become a believer in Jesus and then my life's fantastic. Why am I letting my life be terrible not loving Jesus, right? Like the, the reality is in this life, there are wins and losses for everyone. However, There is prosperity for those who are in Christ for an eternity that the wicked don't experience. The wicked are like chaff. So let me explain that word real quick um, in case we don't know what chaff is. Um, So this is a guy, he has what's called a winnowing fork, and he's taking grain and he's tossing it into the air. 
And what he's doing here is, call, is, is threshing uh, wheat or grain. And basically what happens is uh, chaff is like the hollow, empty, um, light part. And then you got this heads of grain that are, that are heavy. And so what you do is you take, I'm not a farmer. A few of you know way more about this than me. So you can tell me how I'm wrong later. But this is the basic idea. Nod your heads. Okay, okay, cool. Basic idea. And you take the winnowing fork and you toss the stuff in the air. And what happens is the wind drives through that and the grain, which is heavy, falls down to the ground. But the chaff, which is light and hollow, gets blown and driven away. And over the course of time, as you do this over and over again, you're going to have grain and you're going to have chaff and they're going to be separate. And you will take the grain and you will gather it up and put it into your storehouse and you will take the chaff and you'll gather it up. You could feed your animals with it, but it's just, it's really worthless. You're just going to burn it. That's the picture. That there's a separation that will happen. The wicked are like chaff. They are driven away by the wind. And we see an image. John the Baptist talks about Jesus in, now, Full disclosure, I made a mistake. It says John 3. I think I did that because it's John the Baptist. I don't know. John 3, it should be Matthew 3. So if you're taking notes or trying to find ways that I'm wrong, God, beat you to that one. So Matthew 3, 11 through 12. And this is what John the Baptist says. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, that's Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There's coming a day when there will be a judgment. Jesus is the great judge. And there will be a separation. And it's between the people who choose him. Will you be planted in him? Will he be the Lord of your life? If he's the Lord of your life, which means he's the authority, he's in charge, I have given my whole life to him. I die to myself and I live as Christ planted in him. If that's true, then we are like the grain that is brought into the storehouse to spend eternity with God and are blessed, prospering for eternity. Or you can choose to forsake him, the living water, and instead you can choose to do things your way, and God will let you have that. He will let you toil and dig your own cistern and let you live out your days here on earth and then be like chaff, blown and driven away by the wind to be burned in unquenchable fire because that's a choice you made. And you get to live with the selfish, the things that I want now and for eternity. And that's the decision that we can make. All of us get that choice. And we get the choice because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Because in our sin and in my own selfishness, I will always choose and I will always end up like chaff. But Jesus, Jesus loved us in such a way that he died for us, paying the punishment for my sins so that I could choose him, and if I do, that I could live with him for eternity. That's the beauty of the cross. It's the beauty of the gospel, that we can have life, full, beautiful life in him. And so, I want to end with this. It begs this question, 
does this picture of a tree that is planted by streams of water, does it look like you? I'm not, I'm not saying, do you do the Christian life perfectly? What I'm asking is, do you have fruit of a relationship with Jesus? Do you have leaves that don't wither with circumstances but are found fully in the identity of Christ? Do you find that your life looks more like someone who's trying to be like Jesus or like someone who's sitting in a pit? Because here's the beauty. Whether, if you find yourself here, you don't have to stay here. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far down you've dug, Jesus, his blood, covers it all. And you can forsake that pit and any choice that you've made and any sin that you've built up, you can leave that at the foot of the cross and choose him and find life. So, will you? And does this look like you? And so the challenge then is this. One challenge for us personally and one challenge for us as a group. So as, as a group, Friendship Church, will we be a people who delight in and meditate on God's word? Because here's the thing. Our world desperately needs a group of people who are willing to stand on the word of God, on truth, to share it with people, to be a light, because it is a dark world out there. I don't have to give any examples. You all know that that's true. So will we be different? Will we be a people who delight in and meditate on God's word? And then finally, individually, will we look and search for the cisterns that we've dug and choose to forsake those and instead find our life in Christ? I know I am as guilty as anyone that I turn to too many cisterns. But God is so good and he is so faithful and so will we choose him instead?